Right. And uh, we have much, much scripture to cover. And uh, what I'd like you to do at first is just look at the note that goes under Friday, Saturday, and Sunday there. And uh, just need to uh, put some things in context. Uh, I tried this out. I checked a few different sites. And uh, uh, one was a calendar calculator that actually said you can put any date in. It'll give you the day of the week that something happened. And so I figured I'll give it a shot. And then I tried another one that said it did the same thing. And then I had several reference books. And you know what? Every one of them disagreed with each other. Um, And so uh, what I'm trying to do is illustrate part of the problem. There are people arguing over the year. Uh, Now, how many of you understand what happens from one year to the next? Days move down the week, don't they? And and so... uh, It gets very confusing, and people have gone through, and they've tried to manipulate the passage. I did make one interesting discovery. There there are three basic uh, uh, ideas of when Jesus was crucified. Friday uh, is the traditional view. Uh, The next most popular to that is Wednesday. And uh, I found out, I I just did a little research and found out that the Wednesday crucifixion was actually made very popular by, uh, well, actually developed and brought forth first publicly, published in in the uh, early 1700s by a group known as the Seventh-day Baptist. And what they were trying to do was move the Resurrection Day from Sunday to Saturday because they thought you ought to worship on Saturday like the Old Testament than Sunday, which is an amazing uh, admission on their part because the Bible was incredibly clear. Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. And if you want to follow the biblical picture, uh, the uh, he was actually resurrected on the Eighth day, which is the number of new beginnings. David was the eighth son of Jesse. New kingdom. And, and you don't you have to be careful because you can really get whacked up using numbers. But it, it, it does uh, fit. Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. And what I did here was instead of looking up somebody's commentary, instead of looking it up in the Bible dictionary, I just took the events as they're recorded in the Gospels and put them in order. And this is the order I got. Um, Everybody, I mean, your traditional Friday, they have to, in order to make Friday crucifixion work, they have to put in Silent Wednesday. But the Silent Wednesday is so silent, there's no reference to it in your Bible. Uh, It's just not there. And so if we pull that out, and of course I've had many people say, well, I've always been taught Jesus was crucified on Friday, but how do you get three days and three nights from Friday afternoon till Sunday morning? And of course my favorite little smart aleck remark is, I wish I could do that with my paycheck. How about you? Uh, get three days pay between Friday night and Sunday morning, that, that wouldn't be a bad deal. Uh, and, and people go to great lengths uh, to do this, but I, I like being simple. And if I'll take just the Bible events and lay them down, what I get is the least talked about theory or understanding is a Thursday crucifixion, and yet... It fulfills the biblical requirement of three days and three nights as we'll go through. And every day has is recorded 
in the scriptures. And so let's just go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And this is really the inauguration, the beginning of the last week. And it is an incredible story. In fact, it's one that Jesus has said that anywhere the gospel is preached, this story is going to be told. That's from the book of Mark. And we're just reading John's account here. Then six days before the Passover came, uh, uh, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now, let's... Work, work this out. If we go six days, we have Jesus showing up just before the Sabbath, Friday afternoon in Bethany. They rest the Sabbath day. At the end of the Sabbath day, that would be Saturday night after the sun has gone down, they would have made this dinner. And... I love to point this out. If you'll remember, the first time we're introduced to Mary and Martha, Martha's cumbered about with much serving, and she goes to Jesus and says, You need to tell my sister to help me. And Jesus says, Listen, she's chosen that good part. It's not going to be taken away from her. But here, who's serving? Uh, Martha is, isn't she? Is she complaining Anymore? You know, Martha got some things straightened out, I believe. And you take time, and we don't have time to go through all of the other things, but it was Martha that had much greater faith than Mary when her brother Lazarus died. And it was Martha who was doing her part and serving here. And Mary now steps in, And she takes a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And uh, I don't know uh, how you are, but my, uh, my sinus system, my smelling system is very, very sensitive. In fact, every once in a while, somebody will come to church and they'll have very strong cologne and shake hands. And and I have to run upstairs so that I can keep breathing during the service and get rid of the cologne because it's there. But imagine taking a whole bottle, a whole pound, 16 ounces of very expensive perfume and pouring it all out at one time. I mean, it would be a choking experience. Now, how many of you remember what they're doing here? They're having a dinner. Do you know that your smell is a great portion of your taste? Now, this would have disrupted everybody's dinner. Because you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to taste your food until the Air had cleared a little bit. I mean, it it was just, it was an event that put everybody's eyes, everybody's attention, not on Mary, but on Jesus. You see, some people tried to get the attention put on Mary. And said, why was this waste made? And this ointment might have been sold. And we find out if we read the whole passage here that Judas was one of the main uh, uh, antagonists here. And John says the reason why he was upset was because he was the treasurer and he was a thief. And he stole from the bag that the disciples carried. And if she had sold this and given it to the disciples, Judas would have gotten his cut. Uh, I mean, that's the kind of guy Judas was. And there are some people that say that this was 
the event, that this was the circumstance, and John certainly intimates it if you read the entire passage, that this was the catalyst that took Judas and drove him to the Pharisees and the chief priest to offer to be the betrayer of Jesus. As one old-time preacher said, I, uh, he said, money do shed a lot of light on theology. And yet, here's what Jesus said, and this is where we need to get um, uh, this. Um, let's, uh, let's go back to uh, the book of Mark, and let's pick it up there in Mark chapter 14. And let's look at verse 6. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever... This gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world. This also that she had done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. You know what Jesus was doing right there? He was taking the attention off Mary and putting it back where it belonged. On the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you follow that theme... All of the events of this week will fall into the pattern that is intended in the gospel. Because this, this, the narrative here is that the disciples are telling the story of Jesus. Jesus had come to offer himself the sacrifice for our sins. You know, people have often uh, talked about, but I need to do something in order to please God, don't I? And don't I need to, you know, kind of help God give me salvation? Let me ask you a question. Jesus died on the cross by Himself. Because only He is the sinless Lamb of God. Only He did No wrong, only he could suffer the innocent for the guilty. And Jesus paid that price for us, but, and Mary, she got it. You know what? The disciples during the week, even during the Passover meal, are going to sit there and continually argue about who's the greatest. John and, James and John are going to come to Jesus and, and we're not really sure, but Mama got into this somehow or another and said, I want one of my sons on the right hand and the other on the left in the kingdom. Now, only a mother could want that for her sons, right? And why would she not? I mean, they were both following Jesus and both part of that inner circle with the Apostle Peter, uh, where the leadership of the disciples and, and, but Jesus always took the attention off of people and put it back on himself. And as we follow what happened, now I want you to think, Mary anoints Jesus, the room is filled with the odor. Judas now runs to the the, uh, chief priest and tries to begin the negotiations. It's going to end in the betrayal of Jesus Christ. But the next morning, first day of the week, Jesus sends two of his disciples into town to get a little donkey and her foal. And they put their garments on that and Jesus would sit with his weight on the mother donkey and his feet on the baby donkey. And with the clothes over top, it would be like a moving throne coming down that winding road from the Mount of Olives through the eastern gate into the city of Jerusalem. 
But I want to challenge you to think about something. If you were fortunate enough to get close enough to where Jesus passed by, guess what? You smelled what Mary did. It would have still been giving off a very strong fragrance. In fact, I like to believe and tend to believe as they did not uh, take daily baths like we do today that as Jesus was being beaten, as his hair was being pulled out, as, as he was being pummeled first by the servants of the high priest and then by the Romans, that the odor of Mary's ointment was still present. You see, Mary anointed him for his burying. burying. She knew what was going on. But Sunday, Jesus comes through that eastern gate, He, what we call the triumphal entry. And, uh, the, of course, the scribes and the Pharisees are filled with madness. Uh, they look at each other, as recorded in the book of John, I believe, and says, Perceive how you prevail. Nothing, the whole world is gone after him. I mean, they can't stop. And they finally get close enough to Jesus and they said, Do you understand what these people are saying? They're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. That is praise and worship that belongs only to God. And what did Jesus say? He said, if these should hold their peace, immediately the stones would cry out. Now, how can you get more of a statement that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah of the Jews? Uh, the word is the anointed one in Hebrew, the Messiah in Greek, the Christ. These terms all mean the same thing. The chosen one, the one that God had sent. And so we have Jesus going through the temple and beginning the process of removing those, the money changers and, and all of that. And the lame and the sick and all uh, the little children come into the first court there and Jesus heals them. Can you imagine how joyous the city of Jerusalem was? That Sunday afternoon, I mean, hundreds, there would have been tens of thousands of people streaming into the city for the beginning of Passover. The sick were healed. The little children were blessed. And the Pharisees and the chief priests were angry. Then Jesus retires back to uh, Bethany that night, probably to the house of Lazarus. So now we're working on uh, Sunday night here. And we uh, come up to the first entry under Monday, and it gives you the Scripture references. Then Jesus returns the next morning. And this is one of the most unusual parts of this, as He is coming into Jerusalem, it says he was hungry in the morning and he saw a fig tree with leaves on it and, and no fruit. And the Bible says that he cursed the fig tree and said, let no man eat of thee forever. If you'll read uh, in, in Matthew's commentary, he'll say that the fig tree withered immediately. And in the other commentary, the other gospel records, it says that they came in the next morning and found the fig tree weathered. And it's very simple. There were how many apostles traveling with Jesus at this time? Twelve. Some of them were keeping track of what was going on now, and some of them found out about it the next morning, and that's how they recorded it. You know, we've got to keep our understanding of the Scripture simple. Or we're going to get confused, and we're going to allow events to... Uh, distract us, the whole picture again is about Jesus. The, there are many, many passages in the Bible that tell us that Jesus 
expects you and I to bear fruit if we're his children. And if we don't, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be purging. And this is how we tell the difference between the true believers in Christ and the false believers in Christ. If your faith isn't doing something, I always like to uh, use this picture. Um, How many of you have ever had a car that didn't run? I mean, it just quit. What do you do? Well, certain parts of America, you park it in the front yard if it doesn't run because the backyard is where you fix it to keep it running, right? Uh, Well, fortunately, they have laws in New York City against such behavior, and, and you have to get rid of it. You know, if you have a faith that doesn't do anything, could I challenge you? Get rid of it. Because faith in Jesus gets something done. That's the whole picture of of the fig tree. It's just, again, a a very simple living illustration of Jesus' desire. And he goes uh, for us to be honest with our presentation. To be real. To show that we have life and to have that fruit. And so, Jesus casts out the uh, money changers according to Luke and the, the sellers of the sacrifice and he refuses to allow people to carry things through the temple complex. And as we follow the reading uh, of the scripture, it says, and when even was come, he went out into the Mount of Olives. And so now we have Jesus Sunday night going back to Bethany. Monday night, he goes back to Uh, the Mount of Olives, and then he comes back in on Tuesday. And this is the main teaching day in the temple. This is where he's confronted uh, by the scribes and the Pharisees, and they ask him the question of tribute. And, And it's amazing what Jesus does. Because they have thought long and hard about this question. You see, if... Jesus says, you don't pay tribute to Caesar. What was the first thing the scribes and the Pharisees were going to do? They had the runners ready, trust me. They were running to Pilate and saying, this Jesus guy is teaching not to pay taxes to Rome. Arrest him and put him in jail. He's stirring up the people. And if Jesus had said, pay taxes to Rome... That was really what they wanted to hear because then they would tell the people in the temple that Jesus was a turncoat, that he was a betrayer of the nation of Israel, that he was really pro-Roman and he was just deceiving the people so he would get them to follow Rome. Now, that was the thought process in the Pharisees' mind as they asked Jesus this question in the temple before the thousands of people that were there Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? If we take our money and give it to Caesar, aren't we worshiping him as God? And yet if Jesus said, no, don't give money to Caesar, they would have immediately went to Caesar and said, punish this guy for not giving the taxes. Now again, I want you to go back to our main theme. Mary anointed Jesus, stopping the meal Uh, stopping everything that went on. And Jesus said, she's done a good work. She's anointed me. This is about me, not about you. He did the same thing with this question, did he not? He said, bring me a piece of the tribute money. Now, the temple had its own currency. Because they felt that if they brought the Roman money into the temple, that they were defiling the temple by, by bringing Roman money into the temple. So where they had to go was back to the money changers who had been moved out of the court of the Gentiles into the streets before the temple. And they, and they got a penny, which in those days was a day's wages. How would you like to work all day and get a penny? 
But how would you like to be able to buy enough food to feed your family for a whole day for one penny? The counting's pretty simple, amen? And that's the way it was in, in those days. It was a very simple economy. And they gave Jesus a penny, a Roman penny, and he holds it up and he shows it to them and he says, Whose image and superscription is on this coin? They know it's a trick question. But they have to answer the question. Caesar's. If they said anything else, what was going to happen? They'd be shown up as the liars and the deceivers that they were. So, I mean, they looked at the coin and there's Caesar's face on the front, his, his image. And, and we have found coins from that error and, and we know that to be true. And Jesus renders the immortal God-given words. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But let's get our attention where it belongs. And unto God the things that are God's. And they're sitting there going, there was nothing they could say. This was the day that the widow would cast her two mites into the offering. And Jesus was sitting there watching. And He said that she put in more than all the rest. The, the idea of the statement was she put in more than anybody else and actually she put in more than all the rest of these guys added together. Why? Because they gave of their abundance. She gave everything she had. You know what Jesus was doing? How many times in His ministry what did he tell the rich young ruler just a few months before this event? He said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. What did he say in the sermon on the mount? He said, no man can serve two masters. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He said, lay not up treasure where moth and rust doth corrupt, and thieves break through and steal. He said, if you're, he told the story of the pearl of great price that the merchant found the pearl and he went and he sold everything that he had that he could purchase this one pearl. You know what he was telling us? He's telling us two things. He's telling us his love for his church. That he as God was giving everything he had to purchase our salvation. And that if we would follow Him, we should give all that we have so that we may be free to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that went on this week, Jesus was redirecting attention back to Himself. Now, if we just follow the narratives... The next thing we have happening is the disciples are preparing for the Passover. And so that's why I put that on Wednesday. Because it's the next thing that happens. And so uh, we, we have no tradition that we need to keep. We have nothing that we need to, to work this out. And by the way, if... Jesus shows up at Bethany six days before Passover and he comes in Friday afternoon before Sabbath. That would put Passover on the, the day that it occurs on the Wednesday and the Thursday would be the crucifixion and everything just follows uh, right along. And I will be the first to tell you there are some references here that are a little confusing. But this was never intended to be a meticulous hour-by-hour hour accounting of what happened that week. It was just Matthew telling his story, Mark telling his story, 
Luke telling his story after he had carefully researched and came in after the events had happened during the life of Paul. And, and then we have John telling his story. And so we have the disciples going in early in the morning. Now, um, I know uh, I know at least one of our group has roasted a whole lamb at one time. I think Miss Frida has, I'm sure. And... Uh, uh, my best guesstimate as I was working through here is I don't think you'd get that done in less than five or six hours, would you? Uh, so let's, the lamb, the Passover lamb was to be roast with fire, not a bone of it was to be broken. This was the tradition. The lamb had to be slaughtered in the temple complex. So uh, history tells us that during Passover week, Jerusalem, uh, a, a city of several hundred thousand would swell to a city of over two million. And each family would be getting a lamb. They talked about somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to 200,000 lambs would be killed on Passover. And the blood would be poured out around the temple... Uh, those that tell us what they know and, and claim to know these things said that the blood of those lambs would seep down through the temple stones and literally coat the side of the mountain on which Jerusalem was built with the blood of those lambs. And the disciples had to go stand in line with everybody else, get the lamb. They had to go to the upper room. They had to prepare the room. They had to make sure that the dinner was ready, and Passover dinner starts at sundown. So stop and think about this. They were probably up at the crack of dawn, in line at the temple with all the other uh, people there in Jerusalem. And you only needed one lamb per family or family group, uh, depending on how many were in your group. So uh, they, they stood in line. They got that. They got the meal ready. The traditions that went, uh, went with the Passover meal. There was a recitation of the history out of the book of Exodus. These would have all been things that Jesus would have accomplished with his disciples while they were eating the meal. It was part of the tradition. Now, Jesus adds a few things. If we go to John chapter 13... Jesus is going to add washing the disciples' feet. Now, why didn't somebody do that before they started the meal? Because the Passover meal was to be eaten with your shoes on. You weren't to relax and, and take it easy. You were to remember that on the night the first Passover was eaten, they were cast out of the land of Egypt. And so you were dressed in your traveling clothes at the dinner table. And you were ready to move. And so Jesus broke, uh, not really broke, but he changed that tradition in washing the disciples' feet. And again, what was he doing? He was bringing the attention back to Jesus. He said, I, your Lord and your Master, have done the job of the lowest servant. He said, I want you to follow my Example. They then sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives, I mean, out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would spend three hours in prayer. And his prayer was, Father, if this cup may pass from me, nevertheless, not my will but thy will be done. What was Jesus doing here? He again was showing us that even as the Son of God, he submitted his will to God the Father. That he was going to be part of the plan that God had ordained before the foundation of the universe, before the first word, before God said, let there be light, he knew there would be a cross. He knew there would have to come a time when the perfect God paid the price 
for the sins of all mankind. And Jesus prayed for three hours saying the same things over and over again. I've heard preachers, and I wish we had time to spend the whole night just on the Garden of Gethsemane, but he said Jesus was wrestling with himself, trying to make sure that his flesh would be obedient. And I got a problem with that. Because Jesus was always obedient to the Father's Word. Amen? What Jesus was trying to do was to let you and I get just a glimpse of the anguish that he would go through. Now, we've got to be careful here. I was reading something on the, the uh, um, history and the, the timeline here and The Bible says Jesus was made sin for us. You've got to be careful how you read your Bible. He was not made a sinner for us. There's a difference. When that word is used like that, it's talking about the sacrifice for sin. Isaiah chapter 53 says, And God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus took that cup, God's wrath, for our sins. And the writer of Hebrews put it this way. He tasted death. He drank that cup so you and I wouldn't have to. Read read the book of Revelation. Those who refuse to allow Jesus to take that cup for them will drink of that cup. And we'll be a partaker of the wrath of Almighty God. Jesus did that for us. He wanted us to see. Some have said, well, Jesus is God. He could endure anything. No, the writer of Hebrews tells us that he endured the cross despising the shame. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane was about. It was to let you and I see The anguish and the suffering. The real suffering of Christ was not the physical. It was the spiritual. It was the things unseen. As God poured out upon Jesus Christ the wrath for all of our sins. Jesus had already told Peter that before the cock crows, you're going to deny me thrice. And Peter had promised that he would never deny the Lord. And yet, what was Peter doing while Jesus was in the garden praying? He was sleeping. Jesus wakes him up just as Judas shows up. I love John's account. of This was all Wednesday night. They, they had left the Passover meal. Jesus had prayed in the garden three hours later. Judas shows up with a band of soldiers, and they said, Whom seek ye? Jesus said, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And the Bible says that he just said, I am. And they fell on the ground. And then they get up, and they arrest him. You know what Jesus is doing one more time? He was showing them who was really in charge. Amen? It's amazing what man will take credit for. They couldn't even stand up except he gave them permission to do so. He was then taken to the house of Annas, who was the father-in-law of the high priest that year, Caiaphas. Uh, they tried to bring the false witnesses together and put their case together and And this took into the wee hours of the morning. And finally, in the early hours of the morning, they took him from the house of Annas to the house of Caiaphas. And that's where he looked on Peter, who had already, who had just denied the Lord Jesus his third time. 
The sun is about to come up. The rooster has just crowed the second time. And by the way, roosters normally crow in the pitch black of night, just before the sun comes up. I don't know how they figure that out. But uh, it is just before morning, and they're marching Jesus to Caiaphas, where Caiaphas will say, I adjure thee by the Most High God, tell us if thou be the Christ. And Jesus will say, thou hast said. Jesus will say, I am the Christ. And that's what they will use to condemn him. As the sun comes up, Jesus has endured the first round of buffeting at the hands of the Pharisees and the servants of the high priest. His face is bruised and bloody. He is staggering under the weight of the blows. They blindfolded him and beat him and said, If you're really Christ, tell who beat you. Tell, tell us who hit you. And yet Jesus knew the number of hairs upon their head. And he kept his mouth closed in fulfillment of the Bible prophecies. He was taken to Pilate. Pilate said, I don't find any fault in him. He realized that Jesus was from Nazareth. He sends him to Herod. And Herod is like the petulant child. Uh, he, he remembers uh, John the Baptist, and now he sees Jesus, and he hopes to have seen some miracle done by him. And, of course, Jesus just stands there and doesn't say a word. They put a gorgeous robe on Jesus. Herod's soldiers mock him back and forth between Pilate and Herod, and he sends him back. Finally, the crown of thorns is plaited. Jesus is scourged. He is brought before the people, and they cry for his blood. In some instances, the very same people that said Hosanna to the Son of David on Sunday, now Thursday morning, are saying, give to us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. By nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus is led up Golgotha's hill and nailed to the cross. At noon, the sun goes out. Darkness falls over the face of the earth. And it's interesting to read. They talk about an eclipse uh, of, of the sun that would have been visible in that part of the land. But I, like, I, like I say before, uh, many times, God doesn't need an eclipse to make things happen. But darkness from noon till three in the afternoon, the brightest period of the sun, Jesus cries out, I thirst. It is finished. And, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gives up the ghost. Again, what is he doing? He is drawing attention to himself. That I'm not dying because of what you've done. I'm dying because I have chosen to fulfill the words of my Father which he gave me. That I should lay down my life and that I may take it again. You know, people have prophesied many things, but no one's ever prophesied their own resurrection. I mean, they've talked about it. Houdini talked about it, many other people over the years. But guess what? With Jesus, these very same priests and scribes that had thought that Jesus went to the cross by their conniving and their charming and their manipulation of of Pilate, said, we need to make the tomb sure until the third day. Now, how in the world would you have liked to have been those chief priests and got a knock at the temple door Sunday morning, and there's Roman soldiers standing there? What do you want? What are you doing here? Get out of here. You don't belong in the temple complex. You don't belong anywhere near here. You, you don't understand Remember that guy that you sent us to guard? He's not in the grave anymore. We don't know what happened. And yet, 
What did they do? Conference time, guys. We'll give you guys a lot of money. And what we want you to tell them is you were sleeping. And I got a Jewish history books that was left here by the old rabbi. And, you, and I looked it up. And you know what it says in the Jewish history books? That the disciples stole the body while Jesus was sleeping? Now, if I were writing a Jewish history, somehow I think I'd put that out of there because that's exactly what the Bible said they would say. Do you get what I'm saying here? It's absolutely amazing. I mean, if I made up anything, if I were a Jewish historian, I'd make up anything different so it wouldn't agree with the Bible. And yet their history agrees with the Bible. At least the one I have does. I love it. Now, let's do some counting. And and I'll try to have you out of here very quickly. If Jesus were crucified on Thursday, he died 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon. He was put in the tomb before sunset. Everybody that counts the days say that a part of a day counts as a whole day. So we're going to count our first day as Thursday afternoon. He is in the tomb Thursday night. That is the beginning of the next day, Friday. So we have the first day and the first night, just as Jesus said, as Jonas was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And so we have our first day, Thursday afternoon, our first night, Thursday night, our second day, Friday during the day, our second night, Friday night, the Sabbath begins... Uh, the traditional Sabbath, and by the way, uh, during the Passover week, there were several Sabbaths. There was a Sabbath uh, uh, as they prepared for the Passover meal. There was a Sabbath on the first uh, day of unleavened bread. There was a Sabbath on the seventh day of unleavened bread. The Bible, your King James Bible uses the term, a holy convocation, thou shalt do no servile work therein. That's what the Sabbath was. You didn't work. And so some of these references that are in here are just references to the special days uh, among the feast. We get Saturday morning, three mornings. Saturday night, our third night. Jesus comes out of the tomb as Saturday night turns into Sunday morning. We have three days. We have three nights exactly. Now, people say, you can't do that to the passage because it says the Sabbath and, and, and all of these things. And yet, uh, I think I pointed out here under Tuesday morning as Matthew gives the story of the fig tree and several of Jesus' teachings. He takes the events that clearly stated happened on two days and just kind of puts it all into one account. This was the record. It wasn't that he was being inaccurate. He just was not being meticulous like we think we would like. And there's a part, one of the reasons why it's like that. Because we go back to our theme. If you're going to believe what's in this book called the Bible, you've got to make a choice. I'm going to believe what the Bible says. That's what's called faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everything that happened that week happened to point us to Jesus Christ. From Mary anointing Jesus in the house in Bethany to Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea showing up to bury Jesus as the uh, tradition of the Jews were to the angel of God descending out of heaven and scaring the guards into total anarchy and total terror. And Jesus came out of the tomb. And one preacher pointed it out this way if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, all they would have had to do is produce a body. And Christianity would be dead. But you know what they do? Now, I'm sorry this is going to sound rude, but it's, it's just you've got to be honest sometime. They have a dim-witted professor 
showing up with a forged document that has been disproven over and over again, and yet the newspaper reads, We found Jesus' tomb. And they get the obligatory, quote-unquote, preacher, minister, who says, if they found the bones of Jesus, it wouldn't affect my faith a bit. And, that's, and I would agree 100%, because you don't have any faith. Because you don't believe in anything if you could make that statement. You see, these things were written. That you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through His name. Incredible. Read the story. Just read. Matthew chapter 21 through 28. Read Luke 21 through 24. Read Mark 14 and through 16. Start in John chapter 12 and go the whole way through John chapter 21. Read the stories of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Everything he did that week gave testimony to the fact that he is God's Sacrifice for our sins. And yet, He is God. Unbelievable. But aren't you glad it's true? And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You tonight. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You for the account that is in the Bible. And Lord, we thank You that we can just simply read what the Bible says and simply believe it. Messes up an awful lot of tradition. But Lord, let us worship You during this Easter season. Let us focus on who You are. And we're thankful that You're Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's sinless sacrifice. Yet the one who tasted death for every man, so that we could be free. We ask that you would help us to order our lives, that we may reflect your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed.